Ladies and gentlemen, you're now listening to the Hoop Kings podcast, presented by Overport Media. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, it's your man, Coach Flight, and welcome to the eighth installment of the Hoop Kings podcast. Hey, we getting down in the gritty. Once again, I'm in the booth with my brother from another, the medieval one, King Art. It is I, and I am him. This is the medieval King Art. Thank you so much for joining us again on another episode of the Hoop Kings podcast. And on this episode, of course, we're going to talk about the conference finals. We're going to hit on those all-NBA teams mm. and also the draft lottery as well. But we'll go ahead and start out on the Eastern Conference with Boston and Miami. As we record this episode, the game's going on right now. Let's talk about what, what, game two or game three. Where do you want to start off first? Let's start game two. Okay, go ahead, Coach. Let's start game two because we, we left off at game one last time we taped the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, game two... And I think what you've seen there was a culmination of game one and how the series have flowed through game four, heading into game five tonight as we tape this podcast. And yeah. what I mean by that is Miami took control. Mm-hmm. Boston had a, a bad quarter there in game one. Uh, and Miami was really able to seize control and knock it out the park from there. Yeah. Um, same thing in game two, but it flipped the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami... Played strong, but Boston came out in that first half uh, after those first few minutes, and they laid it to them. Yeah. Blowout. And then uh, you transitioned into game three, and it went the other way. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, and I'll throw it to you before we really get deep down in it. I think mm-hmm. what you're seeing is home court doesn't matter. I think what, hmm. what really matters is the role players stepping up in certain areas. For sure. And I think that's where the consistency of the series going back and forth is being derived from. And I guess I have to disagree in regards to the home court mattering because I think the home court does matter to those role players, specifically Miami, because Boston has the better talent on their team. Uh, they have two of the best three players on the court. Um, unfortunately, you know, when he gets to game three, you know, Jimmy Butler um, got hurt that first half. And I think that really saw the demise of injuries because, of course, Jason Tatum got hurt that game. Marcus Smart had an uh, ankle turn. But at the end of the day, uh, that didn't matter because Bam Adebayo had a great game. Uh, I think he had 31 points, uh, 10-plus boards. And I think that's also uh, game three when they had the 19 steals in the game, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. So, long story short, man, I just think that the home court is needed for the role players, but the superstars are involved in this series. It's just unfortunate that Jimmy Butler's hurt. Um, I don't know if, if P.J. Tucker's playing or Tyler Hero's playing tonight. Uh, they're all been questionable. But I kind of see in the, in, the, in the future, I don't think Jason Tatum's will have another bad game. I think he's really focused on getting to the next level, you know, being the first team All-NBA player. I'm going to talk about that a little later on. But uh, this is my take on uh, Game 3. Yeah, yeah, man. And I'll go back to Game 2 and transition to Game 3. And the reason why I said the role players, and it really didn't matter what the Stars did. Game Game 2, Tatum Brown really went to work. And... But you also had uh, Grant Williams step up in game two as well. Mm-hmm. That was the big win in, in Miami. One thing I will give Boston credit for, in this series, Boston has really only played two bad quarters of basketball. Yeah. Uh, you've seen that in game uh, game one. you also seen that in game three. Mm-hmm. Boston 
has pretty much controlled the flow of every quarter outside of those two uh, quarters there in one and three uh, that really cemented their demise. Uh, you would say that was the first quarter game three and that was the third quarter game one. Mm-hmm. They really cemented their demise and got this to a two, two series split. Um, but if you think about it, going back, even back into game one, uh, Max Drews has played well. Gabe Vincent mm-hmm. has played well. Yeah. Uh, Victor Oladipo has played well off the bench. He didn't have a great game three, but game one, he had a great game one. Yeah, and uh, a loss, you know. And in game, game two, he had a decent yeah. game four, he had a decent game as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the presence of Lowry coming back, I think, has been huge. Now, granted, it didn't show in game four. Right. But I think it gives them a veteran presence and a calm in certain spots. Like, I think tonight, um, whether win or lose, I think it'll be a tighter game by both teams. I hope so. But I, I mean, please, I'm tired of these blowouts. <laughs> I'm tired of blowouts. Thank you, Golden State, for not making that a blowout last night. But yeah. we'll get to them in a second. Yeah. Um,. But I, I think it's where the role players step up. You also seen in game four, you had great games. Like you said, Pritchard is yeah. playing well. Derek White yes, played a great he game. He started four. off the game, you know, and it was just over after that. Robert yeah. Williams. So I think yeah. you're getting a total team effort, even though Tatum and Brown have rose to the occasion in these two wins. Mm-hmm. The role players are supporting them in those wins. And when they lose... That's what Miami's role players step up. So, as I totally agree with you that the stars are taking center stage. Jimmy, now he's been battling injuries, like yeah, you said. Yeah, he's nicked up. But I think the, out of these two teams, if these role players don't come to play, then I don't think these teams are talented enough to win this championship without that consistent push from those role players. I agree, man. And I think Boston is fortunate uh, to have – Two all-stars on the wing. Uh, you have a, a veteran, former all-star as well, and Al Horford. Um, you have uh, uh, a former NBA player as the coach who's been in these type of situations with uh, Ime Udoka. And Miami just doesn't have that. I just feel that if Jimmy Butler is not 100%, who's going to carry the load for them? You know what I'm saying? Totally agree. Because I'm thinking I'm going back to the 2020 bubble championship where Jimmy had to carry that team with 40-point triple-doubles. And it's like, I don't see anybody that was coming up. Like Tyler Hero as a rookie, yes, he's progressed to the sixth man of the year. But with Jimmy gone, I don't think he's ready for that role to take that spotlight spot, if that makes any sense. Makes perfect sense. You know what I'm saying? And I think Bam Adebayo is a player that works off pick and roll great. Uh, he's able to you know, catch Aliyu's pick and pop. So he needs that ball handler in order to get off himself. But I just can't see him as being the top player in Miami either. So at the end of the day, Boston is the better team. They have the better talent. They have the deeper roster. Um, it's just up to them. It's basically a series that, that's in their hands. It's their series to lose. Um, if they win game five, I think they go back home game six and close it out. So I think Miami is depleted because of injuries. Uh, every team is injured, but... It also takes some luck as well, man. So I'm saying Boston in six. I'm still going with my original pick. I think Miami in six okay. uh, was my original pick. I'm going to still stick with that. The, the one thing where I love your prediction, outside of game one, Boston shot two less free throws in game one. Every And they shot one more free throw. I believe it was game two. Mm-hmm. But when they went to Boston – they had pretty sizable free throw advantages. Yeah. Uh, I think game four was 38 to 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
that lets me know because you're shooting the same amount of threes, getting the same amount of looks at the basket inside of the paint as well. So field goal percentage, field goal attempts, makes are about comparable throughout the series. But I think where Boston can continue to take advantage is being aggressive in spots. And, and, and what I mean by that is when they're driving the basketball. Now, you, now you know you're getting threes from Grant Williams. Yeah. You know Horford's going to shoot his outside shots. You know Jalen Brown's going to shoot. But the more aggressive Tatum is getting to the rim, the more uh, the, the ability of Derek White to get inside of the defense, Peyton Pritchard to drive the basketball at Miami yep. and get that get that wall down that we've talked about in the last couple episodes, mm-hmm. that defensive wall on that first level. Boston can get to the foul line, and they shoot yeah. foul shots just a little bit better. They are the more talented team. But where I love Miami, and I'll give Miami this opportunity, I think tonight is critical. I think the playing a close game tends to probably go their way because less mistakes down the stretch. Like you mentioned, game three, 19-2 in steals. Mm-hmm. Less mistakes that they're making. Um, but then again, Miami can't allow Boston to get into a an offensive rhythm, especially driving the basketball, getting to the foul line, because guess what? That's going to open up the three-point shot. Right. That's what Boston ultimately wants later down the line. So I'm going to stick with my original pick, Miami 6, but I can totally see Boston winning these next two games and closing it out, or I can see it going to a game seven, and God knows what happens in game seven, man. Yeah, man. Before we go out to the West Coast, talk about the Western Conference Finals, I just want to end on we talk about attacking the paint because Miami is a small team. They really don't have any rim protection. If 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 Horford is pulling out of Bayou away from the basket, who's protecting the rim when Jason Tatum's attacking, when Jalen Brown's attacking, you know, with Marcus Smart is getting to the cup, like Kyle Lowry can only take so many charges. Very true. <laughs> you know, he, what I'm, he a little get too old for that too. By the you, way, you know what I'm saying. So of course they want to get to the free throw line because they have smaller defenders against them to get to the rack. So I definitely saw that discrepancy when it came to the free throw line because Boston is attacking the rim, and when Miami's going, they're getting their uh, shots swatted by Horford, a Williams in there blocking yeah. shots. You know, what I mean, they're getting four block shots a game. So I definitely want to tap in on that. And I'll, I'll close with this one yeah. thing that I'm. I've, we talked about this guy in the last episode, and he hasn't really got no tick. And I think he's available. That's Mark. That's Markeith Morris. He hasn't yeah, got no man. tick, which is very weird. I know he was injured there heading into the playoffs, yeah. but maybe it's a rhythm thing. Now, one yeah. bright spot, and I want to see if they attack that tonight. They need his shooting. You gotta play Duncan Robinson. Oh yeah. And, and I'm watching the game right now, and does not look like Tyler Hero's on the floor. Okay, so, so at hurt. some point you gotta bring Duncan Robinson and trust his gotta ability stress the floor. to stress the floor. And then yeah. defensively, we'll bleed this into the next conversation. Yeah, multiple defense. Which Spolstra has been known to play multi defenses. Yeah, they play the zone the game. Play yeah. a little zone. Play a little matchup zone. Yeah, play a little box, box one. one. He hasn't done it yet. Yeah. So to me, if you gotta hide Duncan Robinson at a certain extent, do it to get his shooting on the floor. Yeah. He caught rhythm in game four at the end of that, made some good shots, got that lead, I think, from 30-plus down to at least 20. But, man, give the guy an opportunity to at least help you because mm-hmm. you don't want to go down swinging and you got your best three-point shooter playing uh, sitting on the bench. Yeah, man. So that's just a little information about games two, three, and four. And when we're back on the podcast, our next episode, of course, we'll talk about any later games, five, six, and or seven. But let's go out west and let's talk about Golden State and the Dallas Mavericks. I'd like for you just to start off and just talk about the comeback 
uh, that happened in that game in game two. Man, this goes into what we discussed last week. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've been hearing, I haven't heard this from obviously the the, the media heads, but one one thing where I want to give credit due, um, basketball heads, Stan Van Gundy pointed this out. Reggie Miller's been pointing this out. Mm -hmm. Chuck Barkley has been pointing this out. Shaq has been pointing this out. When, when you listen to the guys that really understand the game, they say one thing. Dallas, they're too, they're too reliable on one style of shot making. Not style of play, style of shot making. Yep. That's the three-point shot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those threes come from the wing down to the corner. So I call it foul line down. A lot of those shots are coming from the corner or coming from the deep wing and they're not hitting them at a rate that's going to force Golden State into any sort of panic mode. Yeah. Last night was a perfect example. You guys had a 30-point lead. Mm. They started to drive the basketball throughout the course of the game. Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock driving the basketball. Luka driving the basketball, turning the corner, not just standing idle up there trying to get off a three. Right. They drove the basketball which forced Golden State to collapse, which got some open looks. They built that 30-point lead going into the fourth. Props to Golden State's second lineup. Man, uh, sure. Jordan Poole, Moses Moody, Moody. was on the floor. Um, Kaminga. Ka- uh, Jonathan Kaminga was on the floor. Uh, mm-hmm. Damian Lee was on the floor. Uh, and I'm going to butcher his name here. Uh, Jalinka was on the floor, too. Okay. That was the five. They got the they got it within fourteen. Yeah, and ultimately when they started to put Curry and Thompson back on the floor, they got it within six. It was six, yeah. So, uh, to me, this series is not about oh Dallas shooting the three or how great Luka is or the brilliance of Steph Curry. No, this mm-hmm. is about one team recognizes we take quality shots. Yeah, get quality looks, no matter if it's a two or three opposed to a team that's too adept to one style of shot making like the Dallas Mavericks. Perfect analysis, man. And if I just transition to game three, um, I think that was truly, of course, the coming out party for my guy, uh, uh, Andrew Wiggins. Yes, it was. Um, Picking up uh, Doncic's 94 feet, you know, giving – the nastiest dunk that they called a charge at first. I'm so glad that they did the uh, review on that. But Andrew Wiggins, man, I think just that in game three, that's what everybody has been expecting from him. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Golden State can kind of quote-unquote hide him as the fourth option on that team. Really the fourth option. You know what I'm saying? Because even when Otto Porter, like before he got hurt, like – he was kind of getting a little more wrecked than Wiggins was. Yes, he was. You know what I'm saying? So I just think Andrew Wiggins really needs to go the Tom Brady route and just not have that chip on your shoulder, bro. Like, you know, you weren't a six-round pick. You were the first pick of the draft. First picks of the draft supposed to be franchise players. And the fact they didn't paint out in Minnesota, that you can come to Golden State, it don't have to be that guy. You know, Steph's going to give you 30. You know, Clay is going to do his thing. Dre's going to do his thing. Even Kevon Looney, like, you know he's going to give you on the court. Facts. You know what I'm saying? So if Wiggins can just stay in his lane or play a role of, okay, I'm going to defend Luka when he's in the game. When Luka goes out the game, I'm going to go sit out. When he comes back in the game, I'm going back in. I make sure that I make him work on the defensive end that you do not hide him on defense mm-hmm. because Luka has a, 
a slow down, lazy game. He's going to get his shot up. He's mm-hmm. going to conserve his energy on offense. So just make sure that you go at him on defense. I'm glad they did that in game three. We we said it in the in the last episode preview in this series. Yeah. And we mentioned you must attack Luka Doncic. Right. Teams don't make him pay. Yeah. And granted, Golden State is making him pay. Mm-hmm. And like you said, game three, Andrew Wiggins put on a show. Yeah. 26 points. Uh, terrific performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that was, I'm going to be aggressive. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the corner, but every time I'm in the corner, I'm not going to shoot a three if it's not there. Man. I'm going to attack the bucket. Yeah. Uh, s- same thing in this series. You're going to, you're seeing from uh, uh, Damian Lee at times, and you're seeing it from Kaminga as well. Mm-hmm. Attacking the rim, foul line down. And, and and you guys will hear me say this phrase over and over. It's my favorite phrase when I coach and when I'm talking basketball. Because if you think where a lot of your quality shots are going to come from, foul line down, heck, you might as well say just in that painted area, the middle of the defense, that's where shots, your best shots are going to come from. But even if they're extended to the wings, you're getting on that second level of the defense. So now that top level, those guards, they, they can't come down and help as quickly right. as they want if I'm making a quick decision to get into the basket. Yeah. And that's exactly what Andrew Wiggins is doing mm-hmm. to Luka Doncic, man. Yeah. Luka Doncic, you mentioned he has a slowed down lazy game. Granted, he, he is, I hear this Larry Bird talking and don't ever disrespect the great LB. I'm going to say this again. <laughs> Stop disrespecting LB to this kid, man. He ain't in LB's class yet. Let's keep it a hundred, man. He's only saying because he's white. That's it, man. He the great white hype. That's yeah. what I call him, man. He's 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 a he's an Aldi's version of James Harden, <laughs> Giant Eagle. All right, that, that that's what he is, man. Let's yeah. just keep it a hundred, man. Yeah. Luke is a bad boy, but he ain't LB. Stop disrespecting the great Larry Bird. Oh, I was hurt today. His his shot making, the way he shoots the ball is similar. The way they play, stop. Larry Bird was a better defender. He was a better rebounder. The guy blocked shots. The guy played in transition. He was a hell of a passer. Mm-hmm. Luka got ways to get better, and we got to acknowledge a 23-year-old getting better. Yeah. But he doesn't even try on defense. Yeah, no effort. No effort. Mm-hmm. Even some of the guys that we say ain't strong defenders, mm-hmm. they're trying on defense. Yeah. And and that's where, I mean, even Steph Curry can give you a little bit on the defensive end. He's going to give you effort. In terms of ball pressure at times. Yeah. Guys you don't think are natural born defenders. And that's where we got to we gotta say, hey, man, Luka Doncic ain't top tier. Granted, he was first team All-NBA, and we got a few minutes before that. But he's not a top tier guy. He's not a top five guy. Maybe top 10, probably top 15. And let's just keep it a buck. Yeah. He has a long way to go. And I think a lot of his... You putting the ball in his hands and trusting him to make every single play, you're not going to win a championship like that. Yeah. You don't win championships solo. Ask James Harden. Ask James Harden, exactly. That's all I got to say about that, man. Yeah, and uh, just to uh, put a lid on on that, um, just the difference between game three and game four, because in game three, you know, Bertans and, and Bullock and Finney Smith, they couldn't hit the side of a barn. No, they could When it came to shooting threes. They they, they were pretty good uh, in game four. That's what I'm saying. Shooting the ball, yep. Exactly. So when your role players have those off nights, it's like Luka, like his, like, I don't know if it's PER or the amount of time that the ball's in your hand. He has the ball in his hand all the time. And they just have to basically be ready just to catch and shoot. And when those opportunities were available in game three, they couldn't do nothing. But game four, they couldn't miss. 
very true. You know what I'm saying? So that's not going to be consistent. So that's why I think Golden State's going to go home and wax them off the floor. I 100% agree, man. And I don't want to take too much time, but I want to yeah. acknowledge Golden State, they played the fourth quarter. They played the last two, two and a half, three minutes to win. Yeah. But prior to that, you played the other eight to nine minutes as the start of game five. For but sure. you did it with your bench. And now your bench is in a rhythm. Those guys will go back home, have all the confidence. I'm going to say this now. I think it's over in five. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not surprised on Friday evening if this is a blowout. Yeah. Or, or Thursday evening, excuse me, if this is a blowout at home, go to stay rest up for game one of the finals in Boston or Miami next week. And, and, and I will say this pertaining to Golden State. We said, in a, what are who are our surprise teams heading into the next year? Right. What team do we expect to take the next leap? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to rebuff that. Okay. Golden State has to be the number one team going into the next year. Not only do you get James Wiseman back, Please, who has dog. all-star potential. I want to see you play, man. But when your bench is as loaded as it is, and you have – and people – this Moses Moody kid hasn't even scratched the surface. This was a hell of a kid, 6'8 kid coming out of Arkansas. Yeah, rookie. Give you, give you some work down, down in the SEC country with Arkansas. Mm-hmm. But you compare that with another 6'8 kid at Kaminga. You compare that with uh, Jalinka shooting outside shots. Yeah. And you still got a good pro in Damian Lee who will give you effort. And I'm not even mentioning – my man Gary Payton the second. Gary Payton the second. Otto Porter, like I said. Otto Porter. Yep. Their bench is as good as their bench was when they won the title. Yeah, man. Because when Wiseman comes back, Looney's gonna go back to the bench. This team is here <laughs> to stay. Yeah. If they win it this year, and we'll have it out on the next episode. If they win it this year, they can make another two or three peat out of this and and make it look normal. That's how good they are, man. Facts, man. So that is our conference finals review. We'll go ahead and transition to the topic of the day, which has been the release of the All-NBA teams. Let's go, baby. So we're going to give you all some love. I'm going to mention those names for those who haven't had a chance to check out who are on those teams. So I'll go ahead and read uh, the first team. Uh, Point guard, of course, have uh, our main man, Luka Doncic. And then at the two guard, you got Devin Booker out of the Phoenix Suns. And then we have Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Milwaukee Bucks. And then I guess, I don't think this one is controversial. This guy was the MVP, and that's Nikola Jokic. No, it's not. Yeah, he deserves first team. I, he definitely deserves first Maybe team. Maybe not MVP, but he deserves first team. Yeah, and then also, uh, any of the team uh, playing tonight is my guy Jason Tatum for the Boston Celtics. Good for Jason. And then I'm going to have you go ahead and read uh, Team 2, then we'll go into it. Team 2. That young fella named Ja Morant. He's mean, man, down from Memphis. Uh, the great Steph Curry uh, represent the backcourt on his team on the wing. Big ups to DeMar DeRozan. Yes, sir. Great if, year. If Chicago would have went a little further in the playoffs, maybe he's first team. Possibly. He's arguable. Oh, man. It was, he was arguably the best wing in the league this whole year. Yeah. Uh, you also got Kevin Durant. The great Kevin Durant. Don't ever disrespect him just because of a bad playoff series, people. Yeah. And uh, Joel Embiid, too, man, who should have been first team. But uh, we'll dive into that right now. Yeah, so um, off wax, uh, Coach Flight definitely let me know that he has a gripe uh, with maybe one or two individuals that are on those first two teams. So I'm going to go ahead and dive in, bro. The mic is yours. Hell yeah, I got a gripe, man. (laughs) First off, he should have been MVP. Joel Embiid should have been MVP. Okay. A guy averaging about 30 points a game, 12 to 13 boards a game. A guy that's 
literally carried this franchise on his back the last three, four seasons. He is the process. He's he's the process, and he, and he's playing damn good, man. There's no support for him. Yeah, I said that, man. You, ben Simmons was no support. That front office ain't been no support. Mm-hmm. James Harden, God knows what he is now. Doc, Doc, I'm hearing Doc could be a potential LA Laker candidate. I heard that. Who, who, who's going to support this kid? That's why I said this kid's next move got to be to a contender like Miami or somewhere. I think he said Dallas. With, as or well. Dallas, where, yeah. they, where they can support him. Mm-hmm. Just support him. Yeah. But my gripe is, and 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 it's and it's not a and no, it's a big gripe. Two guys that I would take off the first team, and I love them to death. Luka Doncic. <laughs> and y'all know how I feel about Luka. Uh-huh. Good player. He ain't LB, though. Or I would take off my guy, another Kobe disciple, Devin Booker. Ooh. And it's nothing against D-Book. D-Book had an amazing year. Him and DeRozan, to me, were the top two wings, uh, along with Jason Tatum. Probably even had a better year than Tatum, if you ask me. In certain instances, I think Tatum's getting further in the playoffs maybe enhanced his first team and submitted it. Yeah. But those two, I'm not taking off Joker. I'm not taking off Giannis. Before I got to finish second in the MVP discussion. Two years in a row. Two years in a row and be on second team is total disrespect mm-hmm. of the ability and what he has done for that franchise. Mm-hmm. So, hell yeah, I'm taking off Devin Booker, who I love. And hell yeah, I'm taking off Luka Doncic, who I feel ain't deserved the first team. I got to put my man on there because he consistently has given me the same effort, the same output for the last two or three seasons. And when challenged by the big dogs, he stepped up. He didn't whine about it. He just got down and got busy. So, my brother, that that's my gripe. I know all NBA is, is, is the writers get into it in the media, but I'm taking off Luka Doncic or Devin Booker. All I don't right. give a crap about no great white hype. On the rising of the sun out there in Phoenix. Joel Embiid need to be first team. Okay, so if you're taking away two players, who are you replacing them with? Oh, no, no. Just take away one of them. Okay. Which, in, in that instance, if I had to take away, it would probably be Booker. Okay. And replace him with Embiid. But, okay. if, but for those that argue Booker, I'll take away Luka. Okay. Because you're not taking away Tatum. Nobody's taking away Joker, and nobody's definitely taking away Giannis. Okay. Uh, and Joker was MVP. MVPs make first team All NBA. That's just mm-hmm. is what it is. Giannis is the best player in the world, and it ain't close at this point. Tatum, maybe, but look what he's doing in the playoffs. Yeah, and none of those other guys are doing what he's doing at this point. So there's those two. I would maybe slide Booker to second team and beat up the first before the Booker people. And I'm a Booker guy. Then take Luca out and okay. put a beat up there. Perfect, man. So, so that's all you really feel. But, yeah, man, I was going to do just a quick few seconds about the third team because there's this one guy in there that I would take out. On the third team, real quick, was Chris Paul, Trey Young, uh, Pascal Siakam, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, and LeBron James. I think I would take out – Old man. I would take out Siakam, and I will replace him with Jimmy Butler – uh, that is my, that was, that's what I would do because Miami was a top tip, top team in the East and he was the best player on that team. I would definitely do that replacement. But for the second team, um, as we mentioned earlier, it was Steph Curry, John Morant, KD, uh, Embiid, and then DeMar DeRozan. DeMar definitely should be there. Steph Curry definitely should be there. John Morant, most improved player of the year. He should be there. KD... 
I really try to think about it, man. Between him and LeBron James being on the second team. Uh, they played the same. I think KD played one more game than LeBron. LeBron had more points per game than KD. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of field goal percentage, I think it was like 1% difference, 57 to 56. Uh, same with three-point percentage. But, of course, KD who's better from the free throw line. Both players went through dire straits with their teams and their teammates. Uh, with Kyrie being gone half the season because of COVID. AD basically gone half the season due to injury. I'm having point guard issues with Russell Westbrook on the Lakers. A terrible record. I think Lakers won 33 or 36 games this year. Oh, gosh. You know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking that's the only thing that could have kept LeBron from being on that second team. Jesus help us. You know what I mean? Not making the play-in tournament. And KD able to carry that team to the seventh seed. I think that's why he got second team. Well, if I had to choose, if I had to vote, I would actually move LeBron James to the second team. And unfortunately, between him and DeRozan, I think DeRozan had a great year. I'll actually slide KD down the team uh, to the third team. I'm not mad at that. Okay. I'm not, I mean, I think it's uh, LB definitely deserved recognition for the type of year he had. Yeah. I think he played around 56 games, yep. I believe, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. You know, averaging close to 30. Average 30 a game. At, right at 30 a yeah. game. So, year 19. He's. He's playing ghost, as I say. He's not playing against the rest of the NBA. He's playing ghost. Oh, he's, he's chasing he's chasing accolades, man. He's Kareem up accolades. next. Kareem's up next. He's probably about to get him next year. Mm-hmm. And um, he's he playing against the game's greats at this point. These guys in the league he's not playing against. That's why when we pull out top five lists, I don't put him on the top five. I know he's top five. Yeah. But I don't put him in there because he's not playing against the rest of the league. He's playing against guys that – That's a great point. You know, are, are – Retired and the jerseys hang and their recognitions in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. but not I, KD, yeah, I can see that. I, I can see how you put them third team. I, I, I do believe we we have to get back when it comes to All NBA to guys that are playing majority of the season. Yeah, guys are being sir. true professionals to their craft, not sitting out games mm-hmm. when it's just convenient. <clears throat> Kawhi Leonard. Don't come back next year and expect anything, bro. You know what I'm saying? Don't stop this load management bull crap. Because yeah. I look at everybody on that first team, outside of maybe Luka Doncic, nobody load managed. You didn't get that from Joker, Giannis. You didn't get it from Booker or Tatum. That's um, facts. You know, I even look at the second team. Uh, you know, I know that uh, Memphis protected job to an extent. Steph played majority of the year. Embiid played majority of the year. Mm-hmm. And Durant went healthy. The guy, he's available. Yeah. And DeRozan was too. So we got to get back to this being a a sexy award. Give it to, give it to guys that are deserving. Mm-hmm. That's what's keeping the game in a great place. ESPN loves to talk about, they're talking about Luka now, but they love LeBron. Of course. Ask he's e- their meal ticket. Ask ESPN, how them ratings doing this year? Oh, they up 22% without LeBron. Yeah. So, and then LeBron's my guy. So, don't, but don't tell me we got to have the big, we got to have the biggest gun or the sexiest person. Man, the American public, the international public just craves quality basketball. Yeah. It's the media that hypes up everything else. We just want a great product. And as long as a great product is being displayed by those 10 guys that made first and second team, it doesn't matter what their names are. So, Media, stop making this about who's sexy and make it about who's deserving. 
Is that what matters most? Well, that's a great point. Just to cap it off, man, talking about how it's an international product. Uh, the fact that three out of the five first team NBA players were international players uh, with Jokic and Giannis and Luka. It just lets you know the transition uh, that the NBA is going. You know, when LeBron does eventually leave the NBA, it's definitely in good hands um, as the ratings are continuing to increase, man. We like to see good basketball. But what comes with that is these blowouts that we're seeing. All these three-point sides that are going up. So we really want to just take a few moments just to basically talk about some strategy, some opinion. We're about to get down in the gritty about these analytics in regards to the NBA. So this was was your topic. I want you to lead us off, and I'm just going to piggyback off of you in terms of what you think about analytics in the professional game. So we're not going to bore people with the numbers tonight. Okay. But how analytics compares to this style of play, the preference of, of shot, the preference of shot making, mm-hmm. um, the preference of spacing, the preference of, a, of usage, uh, it's all different. Um, analytics really came to the forefront roughly about 15 to 20 years ago. Uh, there was a young lad out of Akron, Ohio by the name of LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And within his first season, he was the designated point guard on a team that featured Ricky Davis, Darius Miles, Adrian Sogalskis, Carlos Boozer. Eric Snow. Eric Snow. Yeah. He was the de facto point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Silas was his head coach. Yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace to the yeah. great Paul Silas. Yeah. A great NBA coach, good player too. For sure. Paul... Silas used him as a point guard. Mm-hmm. But where the game changed was seeing his dominance of the basketball. Because if you think about it during that time when he came into the game, teams were still running coordinated offenses. Hell yeah. The game was still dominated by – they're dominated by bigs now, but more um, – Inner boundary bigs. What I mean by that, guys that play low post to high post. Power forwards in the 2000s. Exactly. They dominated the game. Yeah. So you bring this guy in, and you had your Kobe's and T-Max and all that, but they didn't play with the ball in their hand. Right. LeBron was really the selling point of analytics. Yeah. From a usage standpoint, and from a usage standpoint, being able to control the ball, make decisions with it, mm-hmm. now playing in a pick-and-roll style game. Now, Utah was still doing that at the time with For the sure. late John Stockton, Carl Malone. Pick-and-roll has always been a facet of the NBA game. For sure. It just caught on to the lower levels. But mm-hmm. now with LeBron, you're, you, he's your best player. He's your best playmaker. You want him to have the ball time after time after time again. So from LeBron, you see more dominant guards come into play. Mm-hmm. You get guys like uh, James Harden. You get guys like Russell Westbrook. Now they're di- they're different style of players. Yeah. Um, you get guys now like Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. You had a guy by the name of Derrick Rose. And I felt that way like when the guys like Tyreek Evans came into the league. He's another one. Yeah. It, um, Those big point guards. Big point. I, I'll even throw one at you who played with the ball in his hands before he went to Houston and, be, and evolved his game. Was uh was Eric Gordon? He was another one. Yeah. A guy that played early in his career with the ball in his hands. So, yeah. LeBron, from a style standpoint, changed the way that we see the game played. It introduced playmakers as the focal point, and it started what we call positionless basketball because guys being able to do so much, 
uh, without having a defined spot, no matter the height, that was his preference. Yeah. Now the game changed even more around 2013 when a healthy young guy by the name of Steph Curry really got healthy. Yeah. And him and his backcourt mate of a couple years, Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. started to shoot that thing. Yeah. And think about it though, <clears throat> Miami was winning titles. Now they were on the analytic push, but they were more with the usage, and you still had a big, and you still mm-hmm. had a dominant wing, but you had this uber unreal athlete, unreal specimen in LeBron James. Yeah. But remember, Indiana was hot back then. Indiana style, they were a bigger team. Yeah. San Antonio, big team. Yes. Dallas, big team. Mm-hmm. OKC was coming into the fray. They were playing, even with Westbrook, they were playing to a traditional style. Um, when he was off the floor, when they had a young Harden, Harden would distribute the ball a little bit better as the PG, and you had guys like, uh, you, had, you had Durant and uh, guys like Nick Collinson be able to knock down shots. So yeah. them playing specifically when they played in that series, I believe they played uh, San Antonio there 13 or 14. I think it was 14. Mm-hmm. And that both, sort of both introduced it. Both yeah. Year, yeah. yeah. And that introduced them to the public as this brand being able to spread the floor. Yeah. We, we never seen five guys around the court. Mm-hmm. Now, th- there's been five out offenses. Of course. But not to that extent. Yeah. Not shooting the way that they shot the ball. Yeah. Not stretching the floor and getting quality shots the way they did. Mm-hmm. And they started to dominate the NBA. So what is it? It's a copycat league. For sure. So now pers- the, the better percentage of your shots are how analytics works. You have, hey, three's better than two. And if I can get 10 more threes and 10 more twos, mm-hmm. I'm giving myself an opportunity for 10 more additional points right. that I would score. Yeah, 10 more additional points that I would score over the course of a game composed of just getting those twos. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm doing my math right, not the math right. wizard, but right. I'm just speaking it out there. It's 10 more points, taking the same amount of shots. Taking the same amount of shots. Yeah. So to, to me, having that, plus now you compare the ball usage. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have teams built around a three-point shot, but now you have guys dominating the ball night in, night out. Even on a lesser scale, I'll throw a team at you that nobody thinks about. The Oklahoma City Thunder, Shea Gilders Alexander. Great young player. He dominates the ball in that offense. Mm-hmm. You think of the Detroit Pistons. Big up to the Pistons sitting at the conference finals game the other day. Yeah. Uh, Kate Cunningham was there. Isaiah Stewart was there. But Cade's a guy that's dominating the ball now with the Pistons. Mm-hmm. Big, big guard. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, young player who I love, now in Indiana, dominating the ball. So you're seeing it on a lesser scale, but let me talk to the bigger guys. Luka Doncic is that guy. Yeah. You're seeing it with Boston. Early on in the season when Boston was struggling, Jason Tatum moving to basketball. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it with uh, 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 Washington. We got to get Brad Bill out of Washington, by the way. But we're seeing it in Washington with Brad Bill dominating the basketball. Yeah. You see this with uh, uh, Brooklyn. Now, KD can play off the ball, but that little midget named Kyrie can't. <laughs> so you're seeing it now at an increased rate with positionless ball, your Grant Williams, your uh, Jordan Pools, guys that are not your ideal fits at the point guard position or at the big man position, but they're valuable because their ability to hit an outside shot. Yeah. That's a lot, man. I'm just thinking of the evolvement of the NBA because a lot of, uh, you know, NBA TV today goes back to the 90s and they're comparing the number of three-point shots that are taken from back then to now. 
and they had used the example, you know, the the, the uh, Chicago and Utah series in '98, where the scores are in the '80s, and just to use, you know, my uh, analyst opportunity right now, bro, just to compare our last segment with the All NBA teams to now. And we talked about this as positionless basketball. So when it comes to the All NBA teams, why are they still doing two guards, two forwards, and one center? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just throwing it out to you as a question. Yeah, it, 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 real, real quick. The reason why they still do that is because that's the way that the media can comprehend the game of basketball. Because okay. that, that's the way that we grew up in trying to understand the game is with two bigs, two forwards, or one big, two forwards, two guards. Okay, so I'm going to ask you another question since mm-hmm. you are the resident coach here on this podcast. No, I mean, you is too, bro. <laughs> coach Medieval. You know what I'm saying? So, like... When we were young in the 90s, I believe that our games replicated what we saw in the NBA in terms of a center, two forwards, and two guards. Mm -hmm. You have two guys in the post. The guys playing the four might flash at a high post every now and then. You got your two wings. You got your point guard running at the top of the key. Now with the youth in 2022, is it still the same where the game is replicating what's going on in the NBA, or does that same style still exist that we came up with? The game will always translate from the NBA down. Right. How And it's crazy because football is doing the opposite. It's going, not necessarily high school, but it's going from college up. Yes, correct. The NBA, though, introduces the style of play to college, and then college down to prep level and forget down the little kids, but that's yeah. how it flows. Mm-hmm. So a lot of your mimics from those two levels, from prep and also college, will mimic what's going on in the NBA. One thing where I do believe that, uh, especially college may have an advantage, is college, you have style of play, you have coaches that, you have way more coaches, and those coaches come from different backgrounds. And so depending on the style of offense you run, whether it's the Princeton offense, mm. whether it's the 40, uh, the 4 out one in offense of Villanova, whether it's uh, the Bobby Knight tradition motion offense, whether it's the UCLA offense. Yeah. Um, I'm just throwing some offenses out here that make sense, whether it's uh, the, 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 the hustle, of the, the fast break style of Arkansas back in the day, the open court play of that, UNLV. Mm-hmm. No, no matter where coaches come from and their head coaches come from and their head coaches come from, there, there's pockets of ball, flex offense that we talked about during March Madness with Providence um, there with Ed Cooley. It, there's different styles. So coaches there have more influence due to the talent of the player, whether good or bad, okay. to fit it within their scheme to, to create structure, which will ultimately help their games rise. Okay. I think with football, you may see it as, oh, it only helps the coach at that level. No, I think basketball... The structure of the game helps the guys at the college level. One thing where it's different is the NBA level guys are just so much talented. Mm-hmm. We necessarily don't see the structure in what they're doing, but you see little influences of different offenses in the NBA. Yeah, we're just seeing the talent because the talent is so great. Right, and on display, mm-hmm. what you're seeing is this is how, and no disrespect to the front offices, this is how the uh, the general manager, the president, who may have not played the NBA basketball, right? Who may not play basketball at any level? Excuse me. Uh-huh. This is how they can. They they're good with numbers. They're good with hey, that three is more than two. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I shoot forty percent from three, but sixty percent from two, I can take those ten or twelve points 
and give myself more advantages if I get out on the break and shoot a three in transition. Right. Why do you see people running to the court? Why do you see people running to the wings? I hate that. I hate it like a, I hate it with a passion. But that's what you see. So I think getting back to positionless basketball, it creates the narrative and it helps analytics grow. But here's the thing with analytics, though. If you need a bucket, that stuff ain't going to help It's you. not going to work, bro. Philadelphia needs a bucket. Who getting that basketball? Mm-hmm. Denver needs a bucket. Who getting that basketball? Mm-hmm. If you need a two, you're not telling Giannis Antetokounmpo at the top of the key to drive the paint. No, you're putting Giannis on the post, or you're putting Giannis at that high post right. and allow him to attack closer to the basket. That's why now in analytics they say either get a prime three or get something at the basket. Because it was just about shooting threes. There was no getting to the basket. Mm-hmm. Mid-range is gone. But I think what you're seeing now is guys at the NBA level are too smart. They're even smarter than the guys in the front office. Mm-hmm. Guys in the front office say, hey, more threes. Get, let's get some twos. But you got your DeRozans, Chris Pauls, KDs, Kyries, Tatums, and Browns. And everybody says, no, I'm going to shoot this two right here. Yeah. Because I'm good at it. Giannis did it two this year. I can make that shot. And guess what? That's going to count two or three times over in the game than me jacking up a three that I'm going to miss. Yeah. And that's what you're seeing with Golden State in this playoffs. We're going to get quality shots. We don't need a three. We're going to one dribble pull up in the corner. Mm -hmm. We're going to drive the ball hard off the wing. We're going to get the ball at the foul line, pull Draymond up, and try to get some cutting action to the basket. That's what you're getting. That's why they're beating Dallas. It's not that Dallas is that much worse than they are. Yeah. Granted, Golden State got a better team, but – Luke is better than anybody Golden State guy. He's even had more half a tire ceiling than even what Curry may have as an individual player. Yeah. But that, that's that's what you're seeing, man. It's just we're going to get better shots than you. And the teams that have maintained that integrity of getting better shots, forget the positions. But, hey, a, a, a two is a good two. Mm-hmm. Getting a shot off the block is good if I can score from the block. Short corner, that's a good two. Foul line, that's a good two. Pinch post, that's a good two. Right off the elbow, that's a good two. Top of key, that's a – if the shot is open, that's a good shot. Right. Analytics says that's a bad shot. And I, and I think this ain't a bang on analytics, but I think you cannot take away the game when you need a bucket. It's just mm-hmm. like football. We can pass around the yard all we want, but guess what? Third and one. My Bengals had it in the Super Bowl. They didn't get it, but they made the decision. We're going to try to run that ball. Right. And that's what you got to do. In the NBA, you got to try to score. Get the best shot available. Put yourself in position so in late in the game, whether you're down or up, you got an ability to close it out properly and just jacking up a shot because the numbers say it's a better shot. Great information, man. And uh, just to add a little bit to that, man, when you was talking, you were just talking about how on a fast break when guys run to the corner three, right? And what I'm thinking of in terms of basketball I like to see is when you have like an all-star game, for example, nowadays, where they have like that little scoring limit you're supposed to get to in like that last two minutes, like they really <laughs> locked in and the best players have the ball in their hand and they're pulling up in that mid-range or they get into the basket in order to draw the foul. That's what I like to see. And just in terms of the the involvement of the analytics, man, just going back to that, say, like the early 2000s, you had great wing players. You had T-Mac, AI, Kobe, you know, D-Wade. They are able to throw the ball down in the post to the Dwight Howards of the world, the Kimbe Matumbos. I like that type of game. But even when Dirk Nowitzki came into the league and he kind of 
I guess you could say he invented the, the stretch four. I think that had like, if you really think about it, kind of like the shortest lifespan in the NBA when it comes to the, the stretch four. Mm-hmm. That guy that can actually stretch out the court until Golden State kind of just changed the whole mold of the NBA, having that five out and bringing that death line up to the NBA. Because if Draymond Green is playing the five, it's hard going to have it's hard to have Marcus Saul on the court. You know what I mean? It's hard to have Ibaka on the court. That's why all these centers have to be able to transition and hit these outside shots. So at the end of the day, man, this is definitely the way that NBA is going. I think they talked about on ESPN today, like, if you don't like it, you got to stop watching NBA for the next decade. And this is exactly how it's going to be the next 10 to 12 years. You need to find shooters, Los Angeles Lakers. You got to have guys that can shoot the wing shots and also can play defense, because that's what the league is going. Anything else you want to add to that, man? Uh, uh, two things I want to add to that. I, I think with the league, the league will always be dominated by veterans, veterans teams. I think with the, with the younger teams, you're seeing them embrace the style of play to catch up. But if you look at the teams left, Miami, who is not a great outside shooting team, they're just smart, smart basketball players that get good shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston, now they will shoot more threes than normal, but you got two studs in Brown and Tatum right. that can get you there. Um, Golden State gets the best shot available. Now Dallas is the outlier. Young team, this is their first opportunity. They're going to do everything they can in terms of stylistic style of play. And now in today's NBA to, to get the win. Yeah, but uh, if if Phoenix was that team, you would have had a good old Donnie Brook with uh, with DeAndre Aiden playing down low, dropping twenty to five to thirty points in this series against Golden State, forcing Golden State maybe to play Looney and um, and 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 Jelinka just a little bit more, and that taking off Draymond from Garden Aiden. So, it, Styles make fights. Styles make fights, as you know, in boxing. Styles make fights, and Styles make games in the NBA. Yeah. Styles make series. Another one thing I want to point out is the spacing aspect. You mentioned on the fa- we mentioned on the fast break. It, typically, what you're seeing today, you're seeing corners, which are the money spots. Yeah. You're seeing the wings, and then you have the top of the key. Um, one thing in the past, your big rim run, which is still a valuable shot in today's game. If you got a big man who rebounds and runs the floor and can get, whether you're power forward, uh, you're, you're not your trailing big, but your first big out, if they're rim running that, you can get the ball down. That's an easy two or a foul opportunity right there. Yeah. So how it looks from a fast break standpoint, yesterday's NBA, you had a guy run. You had you still had your two wings or corners. Mm-hmm. And you had a big trail. You had a big get to the rim, and then you had the point guard up leading the ball. Mm-hmm. So there was more focus on getting the ball into the interior. Now you got... Uh, you, you got your bigs essentially running deep into the corner if they are bigs and you got two guys on wing with the point guard coming up which is spacing the floor out I seen a description online where it said today's offense and it showed Dallas spreading the floor mm-hmm. and then somebody tried to put up a picture of the uh, Los Angeles Lakers and I think it was from the 4 series uh, with the Pistons about the triangle offense well the triangle was a special offense in that, in that era because you had a corner you had a wing you had a post created triangle with yeah. a guy at the pinch post with the opposite elbow right outside and another guy in the corner, corner so it yeah. created advantages like I said it was more offensive driven basketball from sets opposing now where it's wide open utilizing the playmaking aspect a la thank you LeBron James tell you man down in the gritty 
That's how when we do it, it When it comes to this analytics, when it comes to strategy, when it comes to the involvement of the NBA. We different out here, brother. For sure, man. We're going to go ahead and uh, put a cap on this show, but we're going to close it out real quick. Because I know you wanted to talk about this first. It's kind of a preview of our next episode when we dig into the draft, NBA draft. So, of course, there's an NBA, la- uh, NBA draft lottery that took place. And did you want to go over, you know, the, the first couple picks? Yeah, yeah, man. And, and we have a whole episode coming up here soon dedicated to the draft, man. And really want to be first of its kind. Because not, not a lot of people do draft previews, man. We mm-hmm. we got it. And I think it's NBA connoisseurs. We, we have a... Uh, a responsibility to the public to let them know who's coming up next. For sure. And so, but we're not going to get into the process. We're going to get into the teams and maybe something that they may need uh, for their franchise. Yeah. First pick, Orlando Magic. Second pick in this year's draft, Oklahoma City Thunder. Third pick, Houston Rockets. Fourth pick, Sacramento Kings. Fifth pick, Detroit Pistons. Sixth pick, Indiana Pacers. Seventh pick, Portland Trailblazers. And then the other half of the lottery, you have the number eight pick, the New Orleans Pelicans. Number nine is San Antonio Spurs. Number 10, the Washington Wizards. Number 11, the New York Knicks. Number 12, again, is Oklahoma City Thunder. Number 13 are the Charlotte Hornets. And number 14 are the Cleveland Cavs. So just looking at that list, I'm excited to see who New Orleans is going to pick at the eighth pick. You know, OKC has two picks in the draft as well. And Charlotte being an up-and-coming team. And also with Cleveland, like that mid-range area is kind of a, a dark area to be in when it comes to being in the NBA. But a lot of these teams could definitely improve by getting a good player out of college or overseas. No no doubt about it. A, a couple teams that stick out, like you said, OKC, they're, they are still two or three years away. But oh, yeah. Sam Presti can continue to build that young team led by Shea Gilders, Alexander. Um he can continue to build a young team into something special, getting two quality picks at 2-12. and 12. I'm not buying into what Houston's doing. I know a lot of people like their young guys, yeah. but they're just athletic, and they're, they're, I don't know what you're going to get out of them. The, the one team that I'm excited about, two teams actually, the Detroit Pistons, I think they got something, man, with Kate Cunningham, Isaiah Stewart, uh, Killian Hayes, Lou Dord uh, is up there, a kid from Oklahoma City. You got a nice young nucleus. Is Grant still in Detroit? Uh, Jeremy Grant still in Detroit. Okay. I mean, so you got a terrific young nucleus mm-hmm. uh, that played a lot of good ball games. And I'm not saying they're – I think Charlotte's the next team up. Charlotte and the Cavs in the East. Obviously, they yeah. were the ninth and tenth seeds this year. Or, mm-hmm. or, or Cavs were the eighth seed. If I, or the ninth seed. The Cavs were as high as a four seed. High as a four seed this year. They dropped all the way out. Yeah. So I think the Cavs and the Hornets are next. But Detroit's right there. And I expect Detroit maybe to make a run with that young nucleus because they're big, they're athletic, they're physical inside with Stewart and Grant. And to get a quality young player, maybe not necessarily of a project, but a guy that fits. Think Scotty Barnes with Toronto last year. Why people say, why is he the number four guy? Yeah. Well, Scotty Barnes proved it. He came rookie of the year. Yes. And But there were other guys in that draft that they were saying, hey, we're better than him. So whoever that guy is for the Pistons, just take best player available and try to fit it within your scheme because you don't need a point. You don't need a big. You don't need wings. You got it all covered. You just got to grow with that team. And then the other team that comes to mind outside of the Cavs because you hit on it mm-hmm. with the Cavs, I want to see what Portland does at seven. Mm. And 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 I say this because it, there's been conversation coming out now. And as we head into free agency, uh, the free agent market ain't as huge this year. But the trade – 
there could be some trades that shake yes. up the league. Yes, and man. the number one guy is Damian Lillard for sure. And Brad Bill too, but Damian Lillard's the number one guy. And do you utilize that pick to bring in another young guy, or do we maybe see a trade via draft night to send Lillard somewhere and maybe acquire a, a veteran guy back or a piece back for Lillard? In exchange for that seventh pick, yeah. what, whatever the case is, I'm intrigued to see what Portland does, because what the hell are you doing? In Nurkic too, Nurkic is a piece too, and I expect him to get rid of there, yeah, uh, as well as Dame Lillard. So uh, it's time to break it's that time train to rebuild, up, man. Destroy and rebuild. And so I, that seventh pick to me is going to be highly valuable, um, as well. So uh, Nick's going to Nick. Hornets got to get better too, and 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 I'll, and Come I'll on, leave, MJ, and I'll leave the thank you. It's bro, this is the best team you've had since you've been the owner. Should have been in the playoffs this year. I hate to say that. Hey, yeah, you, you should have been in the playoffs this year. Uh, you you should have beat Atlanta because uh, I thought you were better than them at that time. They got blown out, and they got blown out. And I thought you could have probably beat Cleveland. And so to to me, man, MJ got to step it up. It's time. You don't need another young player with this group. Got one. Trade that pick somewhere in the twenties. Get a veteran guy coming back to you, and let's build the team accordingly. Yeah, because there's too many of these players that go to these teams and they get lost in the shuffle. And what are they two or three years from now? Forget the talent. You got to get guys that fit in Charlotte because it's time to win now. I completely agree, man. I don't think Gordon Hayward can be that veteran leader on that team. I, I can't see Lamelo and Bridges looking up to Gordon Hayward. For advice and guidance to be an Not NBA too player, much you know what I'm saying. So Scary Terry too. It's time to time to figure out what you got with Scary Terry next year. Yeah, so that is what we're going to be talking about. Maybe we're talking about these these NBA prospects coming into the NBA. We want to break them down as well and what their potential can be getting into the league. But that has been the Hoop Kings podcast. We'll hit y'all over the head with this conference finals review. Talk about the first team, second team, and third team NBA analytics draft lottery. It has so much more coming up, man. Anything else you want to say? before we get out of here coach man people tap in man listen this show has been picking up steam yeah tell your partners to, t- to tap in tell the ladies to tap in tell your mamas your daddies your grandparents to tap into the hoop games <laughs> podcast if you love the hoop game man this is one of a kind man listen we got special things for you uh coming up man we yeah. got music in the background man ain't nobody doing that like this yes sir we, we gonna make it saucy for you man we're gonna take it back on memory lane with what you're listening to mm-hmm. we're gonna have you look forward man and dreaming of big things in the future the hoop kings podcast spotify anchor apple tap in for sure on behalf of coach fly this is the may king art with the work of art media and we'll talk to y'all in the next episode peace